Welcome to Tabletop. My name is Nick, and I think that fudging dice rolls is totally okay. Hey, it's me, Franco, and rolling for initiative sucks. I'm Daniel, and I think you should modify your first level characters as much as you want. And I'm Shade, and if your TTRPG hasn't evolved into a LARP, you've done it wrong. And we all host Tabletop, a TTRPG podcast about all things games and storytelling. And sometimes we have game designers, professional researchers, and even the occasional owlbear. If this interests you, listen to Tabletop every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Tabletop is a proud member of the Helios Network. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call Clue Rules, written and produced by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Strong language, mature scenes, and mature themes are present in this recording. This actual play is part of the Your Scenario, Your Actual Play series for the Miskatonic Repository and Johnstown Compendium. This scenario is written by William Adcock and is available at DriveThruRPG. And now, onto the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Rena, and tonight we are playing scenario We Are All Savages by William Adcock. This is a 1760s Cthulhu scenario, and we are very excited to be bringing this one shot to life for all of you. Before I introduce the players, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners, and especially to you, the Patreon supporter. We literally could not do this without your help, without your listening ears. If you'd like to join us on the Patreon and see all the other content we have to offer, you can do so at patreon.com slash the old ways podcast. And now let's get to some introductions to my right. Hello, this is Jake. I'll be playing Sergeant John Ambrose, a British Grenadier. And at the end of the table. Hello, I am Rosie, she, her of Odd Duck Dice, and tonight I am playing Private James Shattuck, he, him, of the British Regular Infantry. And last but not least. Hi, I'm Skip. I'm going to be playing Jonathan Wellington, Colonial Militiaman. Wonderful. So, let us begin this adventure. It is January 1760. All of you are stationed, let's say, at Fort Niagara in New York, and you have been summoned on this cold, cold wintry day to meet with your commander, Lieutenant Colonel William Ayer. It has been a pretty heavy winter so far. You've been snowed in more or less since September. The snows still continue to fall. You have not had any reinforcements yet. Supplies have not arrived. Things are getting a little agitated around the garrison. You perhaps have been able to feel some of the tension rising, as is natural when a group of men tend to be trapped in one space for a very long time without being able to go home or seek entertainments elsewhere. But on this particular morning, you've been summoned to this meeting. You arrive at the office of Lieutenant Colonel Eyre in the French castle, which is the large stone building at the center of the fort. The commander is a tall man. He's got long, dark hair that's curled and pigtailed back in the common style of soldiers in the era. He's wearing the green-trimmed red coat of the 55th Regiment of Foot. He's very well-built, very imposing man. 
He pours you all spruce beer, gestures for you to sit. He smiles wearily at you, dark circles under his eyes, and gestures for you all to make yourselves comfortable for the moment. So as you sit down and you take your cups of beer, uh, let's introduce our characters and tell us a little bit about what they look like and who they are. So we'll go back to the top of the introduction order with Jake. All right. uh, Sergeant Ambrose is an absolute mountain of a man. Huge. Size 90. He's uh, built like a strong man. And uh, he's definitely an opposing individual. And Rosie? James Shattuck is a bit more of an average size, maybe a little slight. And he's got a square face, square jaw, blunt nose, and his brows tend to be a little furrowed, like he's squinting at pretty much everything. But other than that, he'd sort of fade into the background if you weren't looking for him. And Skip? Jonathan is a kind of a brawny individual. Kind of stands out. He has a a very wispy mustache to him. Um, His eyes are constantly shifting around as he makes his way to the table and sits down. What he tries to do is keep his back to the back of the the place that he's at and not the front door so he can kind of look around and keep an eye on everything uh, that's going on. Lieutenant Colonel looks at all of you and smiles. Thank you all for coming. We're in a bit of a situation here at the fort. As you are aware, the relief team that was supposed to come in back in September never came. They never left Pittsburgh. Our supplies have not been restocked. We're dealing fairly well with salted pork, flour, things of that nature at the moment, but our supplies of fruit and vegetables and other perishables are running low. The doctor tells me we're starting to see symptoms of scurvy, which, as you know, is never a good uh, never a good sign when it comes to fighting men. And we need to be prepared for when spring thaw comes to fight the French, as we all know, looming danger, ever present, fairly certain. The only thing keeping them back at the moment is the heavy snow. We cannot be prepared to fight if half of our garrison falls prey to scurvy. And herein lies our problem. A supply train was en route. This is not common knowledge. I've kept this fairly close to the chest, waiting for it to actually arrive. Supply train from Albany was on its way, with everything we need to last through the rest of this winter. Unfortunately, it was ambushed a few days ago, I believe by French trappers or perhaps French militia, who knows. But uh, a Mohawk warrior who was traveling with the supply train, running deer, arrived this morning, badly injured, and informed me, as far as he knows, everyone else is dead. And our supplies have been taken. What I need from you is to follow his trail back, Find where the ambush happened. See if you can find their camp. These thieves, these marauders. See if we can get our supplies back. Three of you are the best fit, I believe, for this particular mission. It needs to be done quickly, and it needs to be done quietly. 
If you can come back and tell us how many of the French are encamped wherever it is they are and exactly where they are, we can send a detachment to overpower them and get our supplies back and also avenge our brave men who were killed along the way, bringing the supplies to us. Understood? Yes, sir. Excellent. You will be well supplied. You are welcome to stop by the infirmary and speak to Running Deer. Get any other information he may have. He was a bit delirious when he first came in from blood loss. I spoke to him only briefly. He may have some other information for you. But you understand, speed is of the essence. Yes, sir. Hi, sir. Yes, sir. Any questions? It's uh, just, just, just the three of us, then? It's a scouting reconnaissance mission. You shouldn't need to do any fighting. With your particular skills, the three of you can move quickly and you can move quietly. You would only be weighed down by further soldier support. I don't expect you to fight the French. I don't intend for you to fight the French. We need to know only where they are and how many of them are there. Shaddock nods and sits back. Very good. You have your orders. Report back as quickly as you can, and God be with you. And he sets the cup of spruce beer down as if to signal the interview is over. <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, I guess we head uh, to the talk to the uh, native guide. Mm-hmm. So you head down to the infirmary, which is a low room in this stone building with cots that have been set up. It's mostly empty except for a couple guards who are suffering from frostbite. You see them shivering uh, in beds off to the side. Uh, the company's doctor comes up to you and leads you over to a bed where you can see a Mohawk warrior wearing a, a European-style shirt and trousers, but with uh, moccasins and furs pulled up over his legs. He looks to be in fairly decent condition, a touch of frostbite. He's got a bandaged up arm. His left arm is is covered in a bloody bandage and his side from what you can see has been bandaged up as well, but he doesn't look to be in too horrible of a condition as you approach. And he sits up a bit straighter as best as he can. Uh, Jonathan will kind of approach him. May I help you? Yeah, we are. Uh, we need to speak to running deer. That's me. He ch chuckles a little bit. He's the only Native American person in this uh, in this infirmary. We've been uh, charged to uh, find the shipment. Is there anything you can tell us about what you saw? His face goes serious again, and he rubs his forehead slightly as if brushing away sweat. We were 10 days out from Fort Oswego. Oxen were slow could only drive about 10 miles a day. The snow's been pretty heavy this year, as I'm sure you've seen. Just before sunset, there was a volley of musket fire from the trees. We weren't prepared. We weren't expecting anyone to be out in this weather, anyone to be out in the snow. It was supposed to be an easy trip. And a group of men, at least a dozen, in furs and European clothes. They came at us. They were carrying knives and clubs and several of them had muskets. 
It was so fast. They were on us so quickly. We didn't have time to react. I saw at least three of our team killed, slashed, beaten down. One of them attacked me. I was injured, but I managed to beat him off with my rifle. I... And he looks down at the bed for a moment, silent, before looking back at you. I wanted to help, but by the time I beat off my own attacker, it was clear it was a lost cause, and someone needed to know what had happened before we were all dead in the snow. So I ran. I saw... I saw them killing the others. They seemed to follow this one man, a wild-looking man with a massive beard, and he moved so quickly, it was like he was walking on top of the snow, running so quickly. I had to move fast before he noticed me leaving. I, I was afraid he'd run after me. I got here as quickly as I could. That doesn't exactly sound like French soldiers. They were speaking French. I don't speak much French myself, but I recognize the sound of the language. Perhaps they were trappers. Perhaps they were bandits. Maybe they were absent from the, the, the French army and were living out on their own, stealing things. I don't know, but they mostly spoke French. Well, I, uh, you, from what you described, they didn't sound organized or um, were they in uniform? It didn't even sound like they were presenting as a unit. It was hard to see. They were covered in furs for, for, for the cold. They wore boots like what you wear, but I don't know if they were soldiers. They weren't completely armed with muskets. Only two of them had muskets. They were all following the one man the man with the big beard. If he called to them, they responded. But I don't think they were a, a unit in the military sense of the word. Shattuck nods and glances at his two companions and uh, says, all right, sounds more like um, a band of fur trappers. Maybe they've lost their own equipment and they're just desperate enough to attack better armed individuals, but uh, this man they're following sounds like trouble. He... I didn't hear him speak. He sort of howled like a wild man, like, like a wolf. You can all give me psychology rolls. Wait, I rolled a 34 over 30, so I'm going to spend four points of luck to make that a success. Okay. I rolled a 7 out of 10. That's impressive. Uh, I rolled a 68 out of 10, so no. No, you, you don't really pick anything up there, Jonathan. You're too focused on trying to figure out maybe some of the, the details of who these people were. But Sergeant and James, he's not telling you everything. There's something he's holding back. He seems a little bit anxious. You don't think he's being malicious. Since both of you passed that role, I'll tell you, he, do he doesn't seem to be lying to you. There's just something he is keeping close to his chest. If there's something you should you know, you should probably tell us. 
Uh, I, I don't know. It was... <sighs> when he... When he came out of the trees, this man, when he first howled, could hear it on the wind. It was like it pierced our hearts, froze the blood inside of us. Like we couldn't move for a moment as he howled. No human throat should be able to make the sound that he made. And I don't expect you to believe that, but it's what I heard. And he holds his head up, almost in, almost as if in defiance, as if he's certain you're not going to believe him, but he's holding his ground. You said he kind of sounded like a, a wolf, almost. Something like that, but so cold. It's like the ice itself. He didn't sound human. I look at the others. <laughs> well, uh, cold and fear can do a great deal to a, a group of men, and anyone who is able to stand and lead them is a dangerous sort, regardless of anything else. I'll be curious to see what state any of them are in when we get to them. I don't know if any of the team I was with are alive. I don't think they would be after the brutality I saw. When you go, be careful. Don't let them see you. These trappers or whatever they are. They were fast and they were brutal. I'm going to ask you an odd question. I know you were fighting for your life and everything, but did you notice any like different types of smells? You, you mentioned when he sounded like a wolf. Maybe they're if you were close to him, maybe you picked up a scent or something that may trigger some area or something that's around that some plant or something like that. I know it's not a high question, but uh, I'm kind of curious. He thinks for a moment. He closes his eyes like he's looking back at what happened in his mind. There was the smell of blood heavy in the air, iron gunpowder and I'm gonna make a roll for him very good roll I wasn't very close to him but I didn't smell sweat he didn't smell of the fur and the animal scent and the sweat of the others that's odd because if he was wearing furs or something of a wolf, it would at least have some of the uh, animal smell. It's very strange. He reaches over towards the doctor. The doctor comes over and he asks for uh, pen and ink and paper, essentially, so that he can sketch out a rough map for you. Done my best. Uh, he gives you the rough sketched out map of where he's fairly certain the ambush happened relative to the fort. If it hasn't snowed too much, you can follow what's left of my tracks back. But uh, I've given you everything I can remember. He grimaces and clutches his arm. All right, why don't you rest then? We'll take care of this. 
thank you. And good luck. And you can head off to the quartermaster for provisions. Unless you have something else you would like to do before you leave. No, no, I think uh, I'm set. I just go get our stuff. Okay. So you are well supplied with musket, shot, powder, hatchets. You're given snowshoes, the fur-lined cloaks and scarves, tents and bedrolls, and a 10-day supply of food, mostly salt pork and hardtack, and flint and tinder. Your commander estimates that the French camp must be fairly close to where the ambush took place. No one could move too much further in this snow and carry all of that equipment if they didn't have oxen and, and carts for it. So... You are packed off with the blessing of the lieutenant colonel, and you set off into the snow. As you head out, it's fairly slow going, even for the three of you who are fairly used to this territory and used to the weather. Uh, Jonathan, you in particular, are used to this weather. You live in this area as a militiaman. But it's still a heavier snow than you've seen in quite a long time. Some of the snow drifts are seven, eight feet deep, perhaps more. You have to walk fairly slowly, even with your snowshoes, to keep from sinking into the snow. You estimate as long as the weather stays clear, you should reach the site within about three days, based on Running Deer's estimates and based on what the lieutenant colonel told you. Running Deer was moving a lot faster, being a solo person injured in the snow, moving as quickly as possible, you will have to be a bit more careful. On your first day, you hug the shores of Lake Ontario. There's ice bobbing on the lake, but the water is mostly above freezing temperature. You can see across the, to the far shore, the colony of New France, barely visible, just a phantom line of trees in the winter haze. As the sun sets on your first night, you will have to stop and build a fire in order to protect yourself from hyper hypothermia. You have enough firewood with you for that first night. But after that, you'll have to start harvesting wood the further and further you go. Because you can't carry so much with you every day that you go. So we're not going to cover every night. But for this, this first night, I would like for all of you, as you set up the camp in the dark, snow softly falling, you hear the cracking of branches under the weight of the snow, some crows cawing in the distance. I'd like all of you to give me power rolls. I have 61 over 60. 42 out of 50. Alright, that's a success. Uh, 26 out of 75. Fantastic. Hard success. So, Sergeant, you're busy building the fire. You're not really paying attention much to what's going on. But the other two of you, perhaps you stray a little bit to collect some extra firewood to build things up. It's really cold, and the more blaze you have, the, the more comfortable you'll be. And you both feel the cold stare of something. It's, it's like something is watching you eyes staring into the back of your neck and then you turn around and nothing's there it's like a predator out in the woods somewhere that is very very aware of you 
and I'd like sanity rolls from the two of you for this unsettling feeling. 14 out of 50? Uh, 22 out of 75. Hey, you both pass, so you don't lose any sanity for this. You're just very uncomfortable, and perhaps for the rest of this trip, you'll spend your time much closer together in the group and closer to the fire as you can't shake that feeling of something hungry out there in the snow, the ice watching you. So you continue on your journey, turning more inland in towards more snow, more snow, and more snow as you are struggling through the drifts and the banks under the trees. Sometimes a branch cracks and dumps snow on top of you, leaving you a bit cold and wet as you trudge on through these this winter wonderland. I would like a group luck roll from you. So whoever has the lowest luck. Mine's 46. 60. That's me then. I'm sitting at 40. Okay. So, private? 88. Okay. On your third day, which should be the day that you reach the ambush site, based on the map, based on everything you've heard from Running Deer, there is a massive snowstorm. You are caught as you traipse through the trees with masses of snow. You have to stop and make camp pulling your hoods up over your faces, huddling together to keep warm. The snow is so heavy and dense that you can't even build a fire to keep yourselves warm in this dense blizzard. Luckily, the blizzard only lasts for a few hours and you're able to keep yourselves together, but you have lost, at this point, a day of travel because by the time the snow blizzard ends, it is now night. And any hopes we had of following Running Deer's tracks are well and truly gone. It is going to be a bit more difficult. You have the map, but the tracks are going to be the difficult thing for you. So as you come out into the cold, harsh sunlight of the fourth day, you can give me a tracking or navigate roll. See how well you do. I have 33 out of 40 on track. So a success. I have a 91 out of 30, so not a success on my navigate. Fail on either one. Okay, so the two career soldiers are pretty lost in the snow, trying to figure out which direction to go in. The two of you were perhaps relying more on running deer's actual tracks as you were trying to get through this snowstorm. And now that they're gone, it's harder for you, but... Jonathan, you're able to pick out from the trees, you find scraps of cloth, you find blood, you're, and using the map and these faint, faint traces, you're able to pick back through this part of the woods out to where you believe the ambush likely happened. Do you remember Running Deer said that the ambush came from the woods? and that they were out in the open. So if you make it to the tree line, you're likely to find them. You follow these tracks, these traces, Jonathan, 
the other two close behind you for several hours. It's coming up close to midday. You've lost a day's worth of rations. You've lost a day in your travel. It's still cold. You don't know if the snow will hit again. There's looming gray clouds ahead that are not exactly encouraging. But as you come out of the tree line, you start to hear the cawing of hundreds and hundreds of crows. You see them circling in the air, Jonathan. And then after a moment, the other two of you see them as well. And you can hear their cawing echoing through the crystal clear afternoon. And as you follow the sound out of the tree line, you catch the stench of death. You see in the snow, out in the open, four dead oxen sprawled out, half buried in the snow, this fresh snow from the previous day. There's a dozen, maybe, human corpses scattered around. The birds are sitting on their corpses, oxen and men alike, pecking at their eyes, chewing at their flesh. And as you approach, crows caw angrily and take flight as you trample through the bloody snow to this horrible scene in front of you. And I would like sanity rolls from all of you as you see this massacre. 10 under 60. Okay. 74 out of 75. Close one. So you don't lose any sanity. You've seen death before. Not like this. This heap of bodies with all of these crows and the blood soaking into the snow in such quantities. But perhaps it's a bit more sad than terrifying to you. Just this loss of life. Uh, Shattuck bends down and scoops up some snow into a, a snowball and tosses it at the crows and shouts, Hey! Hey, away from there! On! Get! The birds finally all fly off, the ones who weren't scattered by your or initial approach. Throwing the snow at them makes them angry, but they fly away. You can s- see them flitting off to the trees. You can feel them all sitting in the branches, judging you. Fish regular infantry but for the moment you are left alone with these dead bodies of oxen and men in the snow the blood pooling into the fresh snow around your feet Jonathan will kind of look around look at the crows and reach into his pocket uh, pull out a little cross and just kind of muttered a, a, a small prayer mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of cast another so very suspicious eye around at all the animals that were in the area finish his prayer and then put it back and then kind of move forward to see if he can find anything other than blood uh, that may give us some hints as to anything else other than just fighting that went on. Okay. So give me a spot hidden roll to see just what you pick up. I want to check and see if there's any possibility of a survivor. Okay. So you're checking all the bodies. Yes. Okay. So you can go dig out the bodies, see if any of them are alive. We'll get to you in a second. I've got a 60 out of 55. I want to spend five luck on that. Okay. So with your spot hidden roll, you find recognizable lines of tracks 
leading out of the trees into this place. There's a lot of muddled tracks, even with the snow that's fallen. It didn't fall as heavily here, apparently, because you can still pick out people running in, running around, deeper footprints where some snowshoes have sunk in. You would estimate at least a dozen attackers came here, which tracks with what Running Deer told you. You can also notice, and this is a bit strange, as you're picking out these tracks, it looks like one of these people was barefoot, which is strange to you. One, because of the cold and the snow, who would be out here barefoot, but also the snow is so dense and heavy. They should have snowshoes to keep themselves from sinking too deeply into the snow. But that's clearly the marks of bare feet. Sergeant, can you come over here for a sec? Yes, Private. Whoever this was, was barefoot. You could see the marks right here. You could see the other boot prints next to it. But whoever this individual was, he was barefoot. And he should have sank into the snow. It's, I've never seen anything like this before. And again, Jonathan will kind of cast an eye up towards the crows. Starting to sound like uh, some men that got lost out here and went mad. Who would walk out in this? There's something not right. Yeah, who would walk out in the snow barefoot? They were right in the head. Uh, I'll keep looking, but I wanted to point that out. That just, it's a little unnerving, sir. A little unnerving. Just keep, just keep the mission. So you go back to looking for survivors, Sergeant? Yeah, yes. Okay. You pull the bodies out of the snow, and nine of them are from, you would, you would assume, the caravan. Six of them are European. They're wearing red coats under the layers of wool and fur. Three of them are native warriors accompanying this caravan through the snow on the way to Fort Niagara. They're wearing European shirts and military jackets with deerskin trousers and fur cloaks. None of them are alive. The remaining three bodies that you pull out are heavily bearded men with weather-beaten faces and leathery hands. Their bodies are lean and wiry, and what you can see of them appear to be covered in scars. They're dressed in a motley assortment of buckskin and flannel with elkhorn grips on their knives and beaver fur hats. One of the three, you can see, is still wearing the white jacket of a French Marine under his furs. None of them appear to be, as far as you can tell, an actual military unit. The three of them don't look like they belong together in a military unit, from what you can tell. But the thing is, all 12 of these bodies, the Native Americans, the British, and the French, have all been slit open from their chest down to their pubic bone. Very neatly, very methodically, this was not done by a crow. Yeah, look at this, Private. There's no way these men are right in the head. Who does something like this? Yeah, they have all their inside bits. If 
anyone's desperate enough to attack all these people and steal what they've got, they all there? You can give me a first aid roll or medicine to try and determine if everything is there. That's a three. So I haven't found the stat yet, but yeah, first aid, I have 40. So three out of 40. All right. How'd you do, Sergeant? 35 out of 30. So you're not a medical man and you don't spend a lot of time binding up wounds or or anything of that sort, Sergeant. That's what you have privates for. And so, James, it makes sense that you would be the one to notice this. All 12 of them have everything intact except for their livers. And because you got an extreme, the thought that crosses your mind is just how rich in protein and nutrients liver is. Well, um, maybe it looks like someone was trying to make a pate. Tries with a bit of humor. That's going to be a sand roll for thinking about human livers. Yep. Valid. I failed that one. 83 out of 50. Okay. So you lose two points of sanity for that as this horrible taboo crosses your mind. The idea that someone could be taking human livers to eat is what else would they use a liver for? Yeah, I don't like this at all. Um, Have the oxen been treated similarly to the humans? That's the thing. They haven't. Uh, Shattuck points this out to his companions and is glancing around, very aware of the feeling of being watched that he's had the last couple of days. Is he experiencing that now? Not at this exact moment. Not in the broad light of day. You know, I think we should, uh, we should get going. Question keeper. Yes. Since I'm from the area, Jonathan would like to kind of look at the footprints and look at the clothes and see if he could tell maybe if there's any mud or or any like bits and pieces of trees or any farmland things that may can identify maybe where they've been camping since he's from the area. Okay. Well, you do have footprints and tracks, those tracks that you found. You could try and follow those tracks back. They're still there. And you did so well on your roll. You could probably follow them back. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to say you're not going to likely find much in the way of mud or other identifiable pieces here because of the heavy snow. The snow is so deep that you need snowshoes, which means you're not likely they're not likely to have been tracking up mud or or anything else that would tell you where they would be. But you do have tracks. Groovy. I think we should I think we should be uh real careful from here on out when I be quiet. Uh, I don't want to send my liver to end up on some whack jobs uh, roasting stick. But why would they take the livers after they have all the supplies? Funny thing that, funny thing that, now that you say it out loud that they have all the supplies, as you're looking around and you're saying that, you realize only about a quarter of the supplies are missing the vegetables and the fruits and 
apple ciders and vinegars and all of those sorts of things are missing. But a lot of the crates are still here. Well, uh, that's that's it's unnerving. But uh, at least we can supplement our own supplies out of that. Are the soldiers' weapons still here? They are. If this was a raiding party or something, they would have taken at least most of the food and definitely the weapons. Yeah. I don't like this at all. Something unnatural here. Yeah, let's let's get moving. I don't want to be out here any longer than we have to. So are you following the tracks that you found? Yes. Okay. You follow these tracks into the woods on the other side of this open area, and it's mostly snowshoe tracks. But again, Jonathan, as you're following these snowshoe tracks, you notice those strange human-shaped footprints weaving their way in and among the snowshoe tracks, again, as if they're walking on top of the snow without sinking into it. And something you notice because you're tuned into these tracks now, Jonathan, some of the prints are a bit distorted. It's like the snow forming the footprints had melted and then refrozen but none of the snowshoe tracks around it, around it have. And that wouldn't be just the heat off of a bare foot that would be doing that. No, it wouldn't refreeze like that. Sergeant, this is the damnedest thing I've ever seen. And he'll stop and he'll kind of point that out. If you see here, there was a little bit of melting of the snow and then refreezing right after that. But the other boot prints, everything do not show that and again he should be making deeper prints we need to find these uh, gentlemen and see what's going on with this individual I I check I check my uh, gun to make sure it's loaded and ready because I don't like this at all absolutely you pick your way through the snow into the tree line following these tracks It takes you several hours to get anywhere close to the edge of the forest on the other side. And by the time you emerge, it is now sunset. Would you like to make camp for the night or continue trying to follow these tracks, try and catch up with the bandits? Well, if they have a fire, we'll be able to see them from farther away. So I think we should try to push on. What's, uh, what, uh, is the moon full or? Oh boy, I don't know what the moon was like in January of 1760. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've forgotten. It's been so long. It's been so long ago. Yeah, give me a group luck roll. Rosie. Ten. Fantastic. It is a full moon, or at least close to a full moon. It is a oh, cold good. moon, and the clouds are heavy as if promising more snow but perhaps you can make it in time. All right. Well, at least we have some light to move by. I uh, have to be honest. I'm downright nervous about running into these folks during the night. Have I noticed any other animal prints like deer or squirrels or anything in this area other than what we, the tracks that we've seen? Give me a track roll. 
Uh, no. Mr. Bite. You haven't noticed anything? Maybe the snowshoe prints and those weird human footprints have covered them up, but you haven't really noticed anything? Well, the snow's going to be heavy tonight. We might want to keep going anyway. Heck yeah, could we run the risk of losing the tracks altogether with another snow? Yes, sir. Okay. So you continue on through the night. I would like power rolls from everyone as you continue on out in the cold and the dark. 94 over 60. 50 out of 75 for me. Five out of 50. So hard success. Okay. So, Sergeant, every so often you feel the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It's a very unpleasant feeling for you. You've been in the military for a while. You know what it feels like when something has its eye on you something dangerous and you don't like how you're feeling out in this open snow at the moment I uh I grip my musket tighter and start looking around you don't see anything but you notice how quiet it is maybe it's just the snow maybe it's just the storm but you're suddenly very powerfully aware of just how alone the three of you are out here how empty everything is around you and how cold and dark it is as far as you can tell there's nothing there that you can see try to shrug it off and keep Mm -hmm. moving shrug it off and keep moving so I would like a track roll or a navigate roll to see how well you navigate in the dark how quickly you get to your destination 46 out of 40, I'm going to spend the luck to make that a success. That's a good idea. 9 out of 35. Okay. So between the two of you, you're actually able to, even when you come to places where the footprints and the snowshoe prints thin out or where the ground is more covered in roots and rock and it's harder to to follow, you're actually able to piece together these broken branches and bits of blood and well better not to think about what that bit of maybe skin might be but you make your way through to the edge of what looks like a campsite just as the sun is beginning to rise and again as you come out of cover into the edge of this campsite, you see crows. Dozens and dozens of crows everywhere. They're hopping around in the snow. One of them is carrying what looks like an eyeball hanging from a stalk in its beak as it flies off, startling you, perhaps, as it flies off towards the trees. You see a ramshackle sort of affair Half cabins, tents, and lean-tos scattered about. They're sort of fortified against the weather, but not completely, especially not snow of this magnitude. Surrounding a Native American-style bark longhouse, 
with a loose palisade of sharpened stakes bound together with scavenged rope of various length and thickness separating the camp from the forest. You see there's a number of deer skins and a black bear skin that have been stretched out over wooden frames to tan. But other than that, it's oddly quiet and empty beyond the cawing of the crows and the flapping of the wings. You see there's clusters of these birds on the roofs of the sturdier buildings, especially this longhouse. It's unnerving as they all just sort of sit there. I'll lead the way. It looks like a trapper's campsite, maybe? It does. Very much so. This is not a military installation at all. Um, Keeper, are there any footprints in the snow in the camp or Mm -hmm. any tracks that have been dug out between buildings? Yeah, so you see these snowshoe prints coming into into the camp and Jonathan you see these human footprints the the human footprints have kept up with the snowshoe walkers all the way here the footprints lead off towards the longhouse but you see snowshoe prints everywhere as you look around you also see bags clothing personal items that are just scattered around just on the ground laying there out in the open amidst these footprints Again, Jonathan, being the suspicious type that he is, superstitious, is going to pull out that cross and say another little prayer and kind of walk around the perimeter and see if he could pick up the any footprints going out while his companions are looking around in the camp. Give me that tracking roll. That is an 01. All right, so take an immediate five points of luck. You find footprints leaving, but only footprints. There are no snowshoe prints leaving this camp. Is it the same same footprint? You think so, but it looks to be about the same length. And again, there's places where it looks like the snow has melted and refrozen, and they're leading out of the out of the camp. They go up to the longhouse and then they lead out and the snowshoes do not follow. I'm checking the bodies inside. Uh, do they look like how the uh, the guide described the attackers? So you're going inside the longhouse? No, I was gonna, uh, is there bodies hanging around outside? There's there's no bodies outside. Oh, okay. I was you see personal effects okay. and baggage and, and things of that nature and the snowshoe tracks, but you don't see any bodies outside. All right, then I will head towards the longhouse. Okay. Private, what are you doing? I am going to follow behind my sergeant and see what there is to see. The doorway to the longhouse is just a woolen blanket that's been nailed to the top of the frame, so it's easy to go inside. Once you're in, you see the scene of a struggle. There's torn hammocks and broken furniture scattered around the large room, in the middle, a large iron, uh, cast iron pot has been tipped over, spilling contents across the floor. The fire has been kicked apart and doused with dirt. It is cold in here. It has not been lit for at least a, at least a day. But that's not what bothers you about this scene. 
What bothers you is that hanging from a crossbeam at the far end of the longhouse are the bodies of five men, stripped to their breeches and suspended by their ankles. Their bellies and their throats have been slashed open and their skulls are cracked. You see organs scattered about the ground, blood pooling under the bodies. The stench in here is absolutely overwhelming. And I'd like sanity rolls from the two of you for this scene of butchery. 14 under 60. Okay. 97. What's your sanity? 48. Okay, so that's a fumble. So you're going to lose six points of sanity. Private for a fumble. And Sergeant, you passed, so you just lose one. Okay. So uh, how about that uh, intelligence roll, Private? Oh, great. I passed that one. That's totally what I want to have happen. I got a two out of 50. What do I now know? So you understand very well then with that extreme success. It's a slaughterhouse. The way these men have been hung up and their bellies cut open, their innards strewn about the place. It's like slaughtering an animal before feeding. And you completely understand what that means. Okay. You cannot take this sight, Private. The understanding of what it means, the way these men have been hoisted up and slashed open, the brutality of this scene, the stench filling your nostrils. You feel like you'll never get the smell of blood and guts and brain out of your clothing, out of your skin. You can't be in here. You need to flee. And you are going to flee in panic. I uh, turn and run. I probably make some kind of animal noise, almost. um, Like prey. Mm -hmm. As I... Flee the scene. Private, get back here. He's gone. He is out the door. I guess I'll follow the private. Okay. I don't want him uh, running off in the woods in panic. I'm assuming I hear that. Oh, yes. You hear the scream. And then you, you see... You can't really miss it. You see the private come running out looking green and terrified. And like he's just had the worst day of his life come running out of the longhouse and bolting across the camp. Start loading his musket like some trouble's about to happen and head towards, I guess, where the sergeant's coming out now. Sergeant, what what, what happened? Stop him. I will go try to stop the private from running. Okay. I think in this case, it's going to be dexterity versus dexterity. Are you fast enough to catch him? I'm not. I got a nine out of 70. I am the wind. The The private has taken off running across the snow as best as he can run in snowshoes. I mean, it's, it's not a super easy thing to do, but with the nine, he's somehow making it work. And you are stumbling 
you're not able to get your footing super well, especially with everything that's going on. You're still trying to figure out these these footprints in the snow. Maybe you're trying not to disturb the footprints too much as you're running after the private, and the private has reached the perimeter of the camp. Damn it, private, get back here. Stop, you, you, you don't know what's out there. Storyteller, do I hear them? Am I aware of them? You are aware of them, yes. You're, you're panicked and you're trying to get away, but you are aware of them. It's not like you're in a haze. But I, I don't know what's out here, but I sure know what's in there. Yep. And I can't be in there. So I, I if I can stop running, I will, but I will not step back foot in the camp. Give me a power roll. 23 out of 50. Okay, so you can stop yourself. You're still panicking. You're still terrified. You don't want to go back in there, but you have stopped yourself from running into the tree line and God knows what else might be out there. So you you see James Shattuck stop, put his bend over, his hands are on his knees, and then he kneels down and finally retches and shakes and cleans off his mouth with a bit of snow. So I'm not going back in there. I'll stay right here, but I am not going back in there. What did you see? What? Butchery. They were all like pigs and strung up like someone was going to cut them long pork. I'm going to head back in. I want to check and see if uh, I want to see if their livers are missing. All right. Since you're looking for it. I will tell you that their organs have been removed. Most of them are scattered around the floor. But you do find the liver spilling out from the cooking pot. And the distinctive marks of human teeth. All right, I'll I'll come back out. Cannibals. This man's a cannibal. Did did you... What makes you say, I know that the, the, were their livers missing again? Oh, they weren't missing. They were cooked. So what, he, he cut them out, cooked them, and then left them? No, no, he didn't leave them. He, well, he left most of them, or some of them, I should say. Probably whatever he didn't finish. A spoiled cannibal. Oh, God. Jonathan was just kind of twirl his mustache a little bit very nervously how many were in there I didn't uh, I didn't really look but I'm willing to bet everything they've taken so far there were uh, five men strung up at the one end of the I'm betting they were all missing their livers turns and wretches again Uh, tracks go off and that direction still barefoot all, all, all the tracks are barefoot so it's just the one man now he killed the rest of them possibly what kind of man can kill five other men and then string them up if um, you don't don't look at me strange here but there's witchery around or, like I said this is just all unnatural and he'll kind of pick out his mustache again 
the way that uh, Running Bear described the uh, that big individual, he could have the strength to do it. I don't know about you, but if somebody's going to take my innards, I'd fight back if I could, unless he put some hex or something like that on him. That is an excellent point. Keeper, did we see any defensive wounds or anything like that? So you did see defensive wounds on the hands. It looked like they uh, they were bloody. Some of the nails were broken and there's scratch marks across some of the faces. So you would estimate that they fought. Okay. It looks like they uh, put up some kind of fight. Not enough. Keeper, having studied the Iroquois in the area, I, I'm assuming since I speak the language a little bit, would I have known any like superstitions or any traditions from them that might explain somewhat something like this? Have they had anything in their lore or anything? Mm-hmm. Give me an occult roll. Okay. 30 out of 5. That's a new. So you're thinking about it. You're trying to, to work some things out, but you can't think of anything. You haven't spent that much time talking to to medicine men or, or anything of that sort to really pick up on the lore. So as much as you rack your brains, there's not really much that crosses your mind there. We need to hunt this monster down before it kills again. Do we? Our, our orders were to find the supplies and figure out where the camp was. Doesn't really matter where the camp was. They're all dead. The supplies are there. We've completed the mission. We can go back. I think we owe it to the poor souls that and he points back at the longhouse. Kind of help them rest in peace a little bit. You ask me. Um, I'm not going to go back alone. If you two are resolved, I, w- I will go with you. I just, uh, I don't want him to escape and then do this somewhere else. We need to know if there's more of just the one guy. We still don't have a lot of answers. I'd like to go back with the, as much knowledge and information as we had. And as you're standing out having this discussion, there is a sudden volley of musket fire in your direction and what sounds like a loud war cry. And that is where we will end this episode. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you will tune in next time. Thank you. And good night.